In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the same studio, same mics, same chairs, but we have some crazy people in here. Like we had Tim Ferriss. We had Neil deGrasse Tyson. We've had uh, Max Kaiser from Russia Today talking about Bitcoin, uh, all sorts of good stuff. We've just hit uh, episode like 150. So uh, go check that out at LondonReel.tv. You can actually search by like martial arts or by like fitness and all that stuff. So uh, check that out. But today we're here to talk tech. My co-host is none other than Colin Pyle, entrepreneur, running coffee companies, What's going on? Super, super busy. Uh, we're at Grand Designs Live this what, past week. What is that? Grand Designs Live is uh, it's at the Excel Center, which I'd never been to before. Oh, yeah, it's Massive, huge, huge, huge. Right? It's enormous. Out by London City Airport. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like really far if you live west. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's you can really buy anything by kitchens, by you know backyard patio sets. It's for uh, you know people looking to decorate their home and nice stuff. So, kind of our markets. So we got a little coffee stand and. Yeah, it's good, man. It's you meeting customers and, and, and meeting people. Lots of customer service feedback. It's amazing how terrified people are outside of the tech scene of people screwing them over. Oh, really? You know what I mean? We're taking like this nice, friendly approach, subscription, cancel anytime you want. And everyone is just so afraid of the word subscription. Oh, right, they're, right. They're gonna, you're just going to You got to ease them in, ease yeah. them in. But once you get them hooked, then they're subbed forever, right? Yeah, it's good. But again, our target audience, too, a lot of our audience is about, you know, older than 50. So they're, they've been screwed over by a gym or a phone. Or, and so they just, they don't get that, like, the new way of doing business is Yeah, it's always old people. Nice. When I talk to my parents, they're like, I don't give my credit card out to right. them. Well, you talk yeah. to, like, a younger person, they're like, I give it to everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, if you look at MasterCard and Visa, like, you're protected in a huge sure. way, like, yeah. from any, like, major yeah, losses. I've crazy. had my card number printed, like, online before, and, right. like, nothing ever happened. So, yeah. anyways, all right, keep there us posted on that. Well. Um, on with the show, our guest today is Claire Sutcliffe, who is the co-founder and CEO at Code Club, a uh, nationwide network of, as I count, 2,276 after-school coding clubs uh, for children aged 9 to 11. You guys launched in April 2012. Uh, I think you want children to learn to program, but you also uh, want them to learn about computational thinking, problem-solving, planning, designing, and collaboration. Claire, welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. <laughs> you just did my job for me. You like that, right? <laughs> you know, bad. I like to get people out there so people know who they're talking to, you know, yeah. as opposed to make it too mysterious. But we met you uh, almost a year ago. We were at like our first or second Silicon Drink About. We had just asked Benjamin Southworth to be on our show, and he was like, yes. And he was at you know Tech City at the time. And then we just started talking to you, and we're like, wow, this girl's super cool. She's doing this cool thing. And we were both struck by how friendly and welcoming the tech scene is here in London. You know, we just had Andy McLaughlin, the co-founder of Huddle on last week, and he just tweeted out an article about a company that moved from San Francisco to London because like everyone's trying to help each other out. And, uh, you know, it was just cool to meet all these cool vibey people that 
I don't know, we're just so positive. So uh, it's been 45 episodes later, but it was a great you know, way to introduce the scene, meeting people like you. So thanks for the warm energy. <laughs> You're welcome. You kind of made this happen. You know? Yeah. You know, no, it's you know, it's a year ago, and we remember we remember meeting you. That's how friendly I remember you were. It too. There we yeah. go. I hope it there was good. Go. Yeah, I think the scene was a little bit like, "Who are these guys?" But I think now, I think by I now, I was having like a hay fever attack. I remember. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I thought you were weird. I think it was by Hoxton Station, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like it was outside. It was at some gallery, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was over there. Yeah. For, for the people that don't know much about Coke Club, I was wondering if you could tell us kind of how it started, you know, a bit of the background. I was watching that crazy YouTube video you did two years ago with uh, Tim Berners-Lee and Chad Hurley and Prince Andrew. Did you watch that thing? No. It's no. like all these people are in, like, are they're, they're being interviewed by like three kind of Code Club kids to see if they're worthy of the Code Club. Yeah. And they're just grilling them. And the guy, Chad Hurley's like, I invented YouTube. And then one of the kids is like, oh, you mean the video where the guy did that? And he's like, no, no, I invented YouTube. And they're just cutting them off. Um, right. Was that video your idea? And then can you tell us about Code Club? Um, that video wasn't my idea. Um, the the idea actually came from uh, going to Founders Forum. Do you know Founders Forum? I've heard of it, but I haven't been. Okay, it's a, it's a conference for uh, tech entrepreneurs that happens in Watford every June. And at the time um, that I started Code Club with uh, Linda, my co-founder, um, I was working at Albion um, advertising agency. Right, which is where Bryce works. Well, Bryce does Albion Drive, which is the PR version of it. Yeah, that. right. So I left just before Bryce arrived. Okay. Um, we had Jason Goodman on here. So. Yeah. So Jason was my boss. Okay. Right? And, um, and I told them that I'd done Code Club, that I'd launched Code Club, and they were like, oh my God, that's cool. Um, how can we help? And they've been incredibly supportive. Um, and I was there for, for quite a while when I first started, um, like stayed at Albion for quite a while. Um, and they said, well, we've, we've got this amazing opportunity. Um, would you like to go to Founders Forum and make a film? Because they make a film every year, but they want to make a film for someone um, that's kind of like a, a cause that's worthy. Um, and we'll take, you know, um, a set of creative writers and a production team and we'll take kids and props and then we'll ask the delegates to think of the idea for the film themselves. So I briefed all the delegates of the, um, of the conference, like, what, you know, what we need. Um, and what we needed was um, a video that would ideally be viral and that would um, explain the idea of Code Club ideally in a funny way. And we explained we have kids and props and, you know, and you've got 45 minutes and then we had them pitch their ideas back to us afterwards and there were grown men jumping on tables trying to get their idea across to us it was amazing I can't remember who won in the end I think it might have been Fred Destin's team but they it was their idea and then we had our writers like write the jokes for all the all the different um people um that you see in the film and then we spent all day tapping them on the shoulder and and getting them to come in and film it was brilliant so So you shot it that day of the founders yeah we shot it at the we shot it at founders forum and we edited it during the day and then we showed them the like what was meant to be the final cut like just before they had dinner um and then we we recut it in the morning and then sent it out again the next day and then like six hundred thousand people watched it so yeah, it was really cool it's huge and they, it yeah it's really good and they were all game for it they were all like okay uh yeah we actually filmed 14 people but we could only okay. fit like those ones and they were the funniest there but some of the jokes were really funny when you when they were written down and then oh, okay. when they filmed didn't quite work so well. <laughs> right, I'm not going to tell you who didn't okay. make the Because they're not comedians, but like Prince Andrew was there and like at the very end they're like, and what do you bring to the table? And he was like, my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah. He wrote that himself. He did. did he? It was nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was... And with the founder, that's Brent Hoberman. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
I placed it. Okay, I was, wasn't sure what that was. Yeah. Cool. And then we went back again last year and launched Code Club World. So nice. they're big friends. So Code Club is two years old or a little more than two years old? Code Club is two years and one month old. And how did it start and how did you get to where you are now? Um, it started when I met Linda Sandvik, who's my co-founder. Um, we met at a web design conference in Nottingham. Um, we went to the pub, which is where all good ideas start. Mm-hmm. Um, in England is where everything starts. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, like the crusades. Relationships, everything. Um, education programs, yeah. Um, and we, we had the idea for Code Club, and we thought that's like a fairly simple idea. Um, we know lots of programmers between us. I was a user experience designer. She still is a programmer um, working for freelance clients. And um, we thought we know lots of people that know how to program. We could ask them to go to schools and we started like thinking what are the barriers that stop people going to do that already and it came became very apparent that that creating materials creating projects for the children to work on um would be really time consuming um for one person to do and then that obviously that would be then magnified by every club that you wanted to set up so really we'd have to create all the materials and all the guidance so that it would be easily replicable um, by anybody with enough programming knowledge to to run the projects with the children, um, so we got a team together. We well, we put our first website out. It was just like a one page website, um, and we tweeted that an exciting thing was happening, and we were launching the thing. And it it went pretty crazy. And then the next day, I was doing like interviews on the BBC and stuff about about it and we're on wired and literally never, the next day yeah the actual next day so i was i was walking around in the corridor outside albion doing interviews on the bbc which was Jeez. fun but unexpected um how'd they find out about you so fast um do you, twitter you, you're just tweeting we only at them? tweeted that's it no we didn't do we just tweeted once and then it just went around it's like, like every really, really dream, fast. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. It's yeah. interesting though, because I, I, if you go to the Code Club site, it right. like it, you go maybe there to find a Code Club for your kid, but it from the very beginning it almost pitches you to start your Code Club. So like, right. there's a kind of weird viral design, which I don't know if you intended to do, but obviously it worked to where it just kind of you made it scale itself, right? Yeah, and it kind of the idea of Code Club is that it kind of it works both ways well at least the site does right so um we want venues to find volunteers by reaching out to their community but we also want volunteers to reach out to venues within their local community so that uh, there would be more matches is the idea um that's pretty smart so was that from the beginning you thought this is the way we can do this so this well, is the, the only first way? site didn't have any of that stuff all it had was a mailchimp list which okay. got out of hand pretty quickly um we had two thousand people sign up in two months to say that they wanted to volunteer um which was actually fairly terrifying when that happened um because you've got to vet all these people too presumably if they're we don't actually kids. we don't vet them for their knowledge okay. um we crb check them yeah, yeah we don't do that but they have to have one sure. to start a club so we check that they yeah. have that yeah. um but the there are other agencies that um that do that yeah and why yeah. was it nine to eleven year olds and why why kids why kids in the beginning why did that appeal to you um why kids in the beginning i think i think the earlier you start um, the better um, you can pique a child's interest without making it boring. Then I think you've 
you're on to a winner. Uh, 9 to 11 was because we thought we had to start with a particular age group because children are so different as they move through the ages. They're capable of more or less depending on like how old they are and they've already learnt certain things. Um, so if we went any younger than 9, we'd have problems with um, literacy and with maths. Um, so we based our projects on a, like a standard level in the UK. Um, and if you go any older than 11, they're at secondary school. So you would actually have to have two separate clubs um and we thought like as a starting point we need to pick an age group so we went for 9 to 11 and you've been happy just to keep it in that in that group um yes we have been but we are opening it up fairly soon um we'd like to take the 9 to 11 um label off um and make it more about levels of experience rather than particular ages and then kind of use notes to guide what ages might be applicable might be most appropriate um, for the different sets of projects but we would like to um, do projects that um, are more appropriate for younger or even like younger and and unexperienced um, kids as well as older as well and more advanced work as well okay um, and you were, you all were, in good time yeah so it's very i think it's very important to have a very specific target in the beginning for any startup you know sure. and not go too crazy like nine to 18 i mean jesus yeah, yeah. so can you talk about like the first year and then the second year you talked about code club plus or code club something else that, that yeah. happened within a year i know with google you have like code club pro or something that they sponsored mm-hmm. can you walk us through like what happened yeah so um so code club um grew very quickly um in its first year and con- and in the uk does continue to do so um and we had a lot of emails from people saying um when are you going to come and start code club in my country and i was like <laughs> Clearly not. I'm very busy. So, but we also had emails from people saying, when can I start Code Club in my country? And that's a lot more interesting. <clears throat> so I thought, well, as a team, we thought, how can we enable those people to run a Code Club organization in their own country, supporting their own local volunteers, hosting their own meetups, managing their own um, website, re- like registering volunteers, and, and do the same as we do here in the UK, but like, you know, in a more culturally sensitive way. Um, because obviously we don't know how other countries work, and it's better if it's done by people who live there, right, with their own interests at heart. Um, and so we set up Code Club World, which was to do exactly that, which was to build a framework that would allow other people to start Code Club organizations where they live. Um, and that was in June last year. Um, and we kind of let that fly and then let it just let it be. Um, to see what would happen and and also because we're still really really busy on Code Club UK Um, but what happened was two different things first of all um, clubs just organically popped up around the world and there are about 250 clubs approximately outside of the UK Code Um, Clubs Code Clubs yeah Um, but then the other thing that we wanted to happen because we wanted both of these things to happen just individual clubs and we wanted people to start building communities so in brazil there's a group of three or four guys who are you know proactively going out recruiting volunteers and supporting them and that's why brazil has about 35 clubs now so in the states there's 50 clubs but there's no one coordinating them and obviously kind of a lot more people yeah. <laughs> um and, and are they really associated with you at that stage like are they in touch with you getting new yeah. material and stuff like yeah. that so, so they're in touch with us okay. they've translated our materials right all, all of our materials are on github all the translations are there as well and they're all um so they don't just take the name and then run with no, it no they, right. they use our name i have like skype calls with them every okay. month okay, like cool. um and the same for uh, there's a there's a community in ukraine um and they have uh quite a few clubs i can't remember now about 20 25 clubs um and 
uh, pilots have just started in Australia and New Zealand. There's a community in Catalonia and one in, one in Norway. Um, and there's lots of interest from countries all around the world um, in setting up communities, and they're at various um, levels of progress at the moment. Why do you think you've been so successful with this, like sprouting up all over the world, but like you said, different <clears throat> cultures and different languages? I mean, why, why you guys? Um, I don't know why us guys, but I think that people like the idea because it's nice and simple and they can see that it's easily scalable because we've already proved that, at least to a certain extent anyway. Um, But it's also really easily replicable because the idea of someone with knowledge going to teach a group of people with less knowledge is a really, really simple idea and that's what it boils down to, right? Um, So a programmer going to a school that has computers and children and delivering a code club, as long as those ingredients exist, that can happen anywhere. Um, And there are variations on that theme. So um, I met a lady from Calgary in in Canada and she said that the idea of having after-school clubs in the school and not like after the kids have gone home, had dinner, then gone to... then they go to their club, um, is, would be weird. Um, but the library network is where a lot of clubs happen. So instead of having it in schools, she's, she wants to do Co-Club Canada, but using the library network. Hmm. Um, and so there are variations, but the basis stays the same. <laughs> well, right, they need a, a, new, a new purpose. Yeah, exactly. um, and that's a really good yeah, new way, way of, using, of using them. Um, and we have, we have co-clubs running in the UK in libraries as well. And how was your growth in the UK? I mean, did that did that happen really fast? Did you leave, did you need to leave your job soon? And like, <laughs> what were some of your milestones? You know, in the UK, like you know, for the first year and the second um, year. Well, we we did a pilot with twenty five clubs, um, but then we started our first sort of official kind of academic year in September of two thousand and twelve with one hundred and twenty, um, and it grew really steadily by a hundred new clubs a month. Um, until uh, until three months ago when it was noted that it was at 200 new clubs a month. Um, and it's just dropped a bit <laughs> because we just put all our projects online um, and I think that people were registering a bit just to get hold of the materials and stuff, which was unnecessary. So we were like, well, you can just have them. You don't have to register to start a club. Like, here you go. Um, but if you're running a club, you still have to register and have your dbs and all that kind of safety stuff and at this rate you're going to be in 25 percent of the school by like 2015 that's our that's our target yeah yeah that's a lot is it just me that's a lot of schools yeah and that's really fast growth (laughs) it is is a lot 25 percent of any market is is, (laughs) let alone the whole uk it's amazing yeah um it'll be interesting to see um because we've only been going like such a short amount of time like how long the clubs continue for and what the churn rate is and we're only just starting to be able to investigate that right but it'd be interesting to see how long people carry on for right do you get a lot of flakiness like people are like oh this is a great idea and you know i'm gonna do it and then they do it once and just Um, drop the ball i don't think so No. no all the anecdotal evidence I have tells me that people stay for at least a term. Okay. And we do ask that people stay for at least sure. a term. Is that the instructors or the students? The, the volunteers. volunteers. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the children, and I have to generalize whenever I talk about this because it's different at every school, um, but the children tend to stay mainly because they'll have been chosen from a long list of kids who wanted to join in the first place yeah. and they'll have been asked to make a commitment to stay. Um, and they have to really be like, actually, I'm just really not interested, um, and that's fine, obviously. It's not for everybody. 
but the clubs tend to be so oversubscribed that the teacher has to choose somehow a list of kids to and the, the kids the pay or it's completely free? No, it's all completely, completely free. And the schools free. don't pay either. So the kids don't pay, the volunteers volunteer their time. Yeah. And you guys do this through donations and, and sponsorship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And what's been the biggest challenge for you, say, in the last 12 months? For, for Code Club? Yeah. Um, or was it just so easy? It's not. It's not. <laughs> one when things, tweet. One usually, tweet, when things yeah, look exactly. easy, it's just not. Yeah, that's no, what no. I yeah. Um, what's been the biggest challenge? Getting the ball rolling on funding was really difficult, mainly because I'd never done any fundraising before ever. Um, but now that's going okay. Um, I've learned to write grant proposals and um, and how to manage corporate sponsors. Um, effectively, and that's going really well. Um, what is your breakdown, like corporates, grants, and is there other, um, other money? Is there cons- is there Kickstarter money or people like consumers, that- philanthropic checks? Maybe are there any like, <laughs> you know big big tech guys you know to to help we, to help fund something? This is an no incredible big, opportunity for for they've for all that. been like either corporations right. or grants. Okay. Um, though, like one of our most recent grants was funded by the cabinet office. So I guess that's government funding, right? Um, but the others are all, like, different funds from kind of, like, from Nominet and Nesta, um, who are... I don't know if you know who they are. No. Um, they're the kind of people that fund people like us, um, not-for-profits and social enterprises, uh, for various different things, depending on what the fund is. Um, and um, the others are corporate sponsors like Arm and Samsung. Um, Arm were the first people to come to us and say, how can we help you? Um, and I was like, oh my God, it's nice amazing. Calls, right? Yeah, a <laughs> that was a good, that, was a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. Yeah, that was yeah. a really good email to get. And they have continued to support us since then. Um, and they also support Co Club World as well um, and Co Club Pro. Because um, Google gave you some money for Co Club Pro yeah. a couple months ago. You were in the news. What, what is Co Club? Code Club Pro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, I know. The C button on my computer yeah. runs out. I have Code to replace Club it. Pro. And, and yeah. why did they get involved at, at this point? Why did Google get um, So Code Club Pro is where we um, use our uh, volunteers. We pay them this time um, to go into primary schools and teach teachers uh, just enough for them to be able to deliver the new computing curriculum, which comes into effect um, in September this year. Okay. This is a nationwide curriculum that they have to be ready for? Yeah. Ideally, okay. they would be ready. Um, if they're not ready, they have to prepare to get ready, <laughs> like, okay. even after it started. Like, they have to do something about it unless they're experts already, in which case, that's cool. So there's thousands of teachers out there that really need help. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of, of teachers. A bit yeah. of extra help. Yeah, so at primary yeah. school, you, teach, you tend to teach every subject. Each teacher teaches every subject, right. but throughout the year um, and you'll have a coordinator um, who might disseminate information and stuff but um, generally most teachers need a good founding of knowledge on every subject so if you imagine how many schools there are um, and let's say it's about 20,000 primary schools and then you'll have a faculty of like a sort of a minimum of six teachers and that's like in the tiniest schools up to kind of 30 teachers that's that's a lot of people um, to train. So. Teachers must be scared of having to teach code, I'm guessing. Yes, they are scared. How do yeah. you get And they them feel over very that? put upon as well because they've been asked to teach something that they have no 
generally have no experience of and that's you have to be really sympathetic to that point of view um they're already overworked um as it is and now they've been asked to teach something that they don't have an experience of so we're trying to um offer our help as as cheaply and as fe- flexibly as possible um and give and give them enough confidence to so that they feel like actually I can teach this and I know where to go and look to find more information and and now I have um you know a whole alumni of people that have been through code club pro training as well and i can talk to them about how are they finding teaching computing the various different key stages as well who who pushed through this new curriculum that's coming out in september of this year is this something that's been building you know it was a tech city pushing this i guess it wasn't or was this something that the Um, uk is long due for in your opinion it's i think there has been lobbying for change for a while i don't know the details on on that um code clubs always sat quite firmly outside of the curriculum um was sort of aware of what was in it but not we weren't pushing for any change um because we we like our code clubs to be after school and creative and not part of you know a, a normal school um thing and we still want that to happen um but when we saw that it had changed and how teachers were really worried and we thought well we have the resource to be able to help with this um as in we have the idea and we have access to people who we already know want to pass on their knowledge um and so we needed a bit of a funding kickstart um and we told google about our our idea and they thought yeah we want to help you do that that must feel good that was cool (laughs) good to have corporates writing checks you know with that you know benjamin southwood was here a couple weeks ago and he had just uh, he commented on something because i know joanna lowenstein had said okay people shouldn't learn french they should learn code and then ben was like no no they shouldn't replace a language with code and i was just wondering i think tech people when they hear code club they're like yeah yeah i want my kids doing this but i'm wondering uh, what would you tell a non-tech parent as to a reason why their child should learn to code um, I, w- I would probably want to find out like what their kid is into because if I'm going to convince that one parent then I want to know what their kid's into Do you into think all should, kids should learn how to code? Do um, you think it should be like a, like a language you know, or something they learn like as a natural thing? Yeah, I think they should be given the opportunity and then take it as far as they want so um, it's different for different kids, right? So some kids will um, learn to code and it will affect um, their other studies positively so we have a lot of anecdotes from teachers saying how kids that start going to code club look at problem solving differently and are able to see failure as a part of learning rather than just I have failed therefore I will stop. Right because when your code doesn't work it's easy once that happens a bunch of times you don't take it as personally do you? No just the you program just have to keep work. going until you right. fixed it right and, and that's a really interesting development to sure. see and but that's not um That's something that will stand that child in good stead, whether they go on to be a programmer or not, right? So creative problem solving is a useful skill in any job, I could wager. Um, And so are lots of other um, skills that you learn whilst you learn to program. Um, So even if a child doesn't go on to become a programmer, then I think they've learned lots of other skills in the meantime that are invaluable. So so that's what I would tell a non-techie Parent. Parent. <laughs> and it, are the parents pushing their kids into this or are the kids like lining up being like, mom, I want to, I want to, I want to go and do this. We, we try and tell the kids first yeah. so that we have like genuine kid enthusiasm, sure. not a parent who wants childcare right. because that's not what we're here Me for. Yeah. Um, but we do have a lot of parents saying, oh, I think my son would love this or I would really like it if my son liked right. this. But I mean, I think if you push people into it, it's less fun, isn't it? So it sure. has to be kind of self-chosen. But what we try and do is make it as accessible as possible and make it 
like not seem intimidating. We don't talk about gender, so we don't say, and it's for girls too, because um, then the girls are like, of course it is. Why would it not be? And then they start thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be there. So we have a good, a really good um, gender um, split. So we have like 40% girls in the clubs um, at the moment. Do you, Obviously you see, aiming for 50. You, you say you're oversubscribed. So in, in choosing who goes, are you very much sort of trying to, to have an even balance there? Um, so we don't choose which kids go in the clubs. So that's very much up to the school. Okay. Um, but we... Um, Obviously, they're trying to choose a good mix, but they also want to choose the children who'll get the most out of it. That doesn't necessarily mean the brightest kids, um, right. but we really let the schools choose who goes in the club. Um, when, I, when I say we're oversubscribed, um, it comes from like time and time and time, having heard the story that a volunteer will go into a school, um, deliver an assembly about Code Club, and they'll be really nervous as well, right, which is quite sure. cute. They're like, oh, my God, children. Actually, they're quite frightening children now. Anyway, <laughs> like yeah, 150 children. They see through children. all your bullshit, oh, yeah. children, too. When I talk uh, at schools, yeah. It's, it's, it's really scary, yeah. but they're cute, so we forgive them. Um, and and they, they explain, like, what programming oh. is and who knows how, like, apps got on the iPhone and do you want to make games and, mm. and stuff. And they're like, yeah. Of course we do. Um, and then they say, right, well, this is what we're going to do in Code Club. Who wants to come? And then every single hand goes up, or, sure. you know, the majority, and you've only got 15 spaces, then that's a lot of disappointed children. And so some schools end up running, like, a club, and then they run the same term over again for another set of kids, and then again. Um, and then the next year they run term two, so they don't get any further than term two, but sure. at least they're giving more children, like, a taster of the club and no. that kind of thing. And some, and some schools just run the same group all the way through so, but it's I, we try and keep it flexible because you can't control how schools work anyway yeah, yeah. i have a 10 year old girl and uh I, she would obviously love to do this i remember i checked right away when i heard about you guys yeah. and it was like it was great because it was like why don't you teach the class that's what the code club website says right. it's like, <laughs> right there's not one in your school but there's one here you could start one here kind of thing right. but i'm curious what would she be learning like the first day and then like the fifth week mm. like if she walks in at 10 like what kind of thing would things would they be doing would it be Stuff that's like kind of browser related, like web, or would it be separate code? Just to give people an idea. Yeah. Um, so on her first day, she would um, probably do a project that introduced her to a program called Scratch. Um, and Scratch is um, is software that was developed by MIT specifically to teach kids the um, the basics of coding without them having to write any syntax. Um, so that you know when you don't get syntax errors, you're just dragging and dropping blocks together um, okay. that create actions. Um, so you can make games um, and animations and stuff, and you get like this immediate visual feedback, um, which the kids absolutely love. Um, it's an amazing program. It's really powerful. Um, and so we'd be like walking her through the interface of that, um, and then she would be making um, a mouse, a cat follow a mouse and stuff, um, just to get used to it. Um, in within. Uh, eight weeks, she'd be designing and building her own game in Scratch, um, having learnt a lot. <laughs> it moves quite quickly. Um, and then, say, another ten weeks later, she'd have done more Scratch, but then she'd be moving on to uh, HTML and CSS, and she'd probably be building her first static web page by then. Um, and then another eight weeks later, um, she'd be starting to learn Python. Okay. Yeah. Which is much more of a logic based. Yeah. So then, so so, the, the logic behind it was that um, with HTML and CSS, they could be like writing syntax without it being too hard going, okay. um, and then they would get into Python, and obviously that's a, 
that's a bit more a bit more okay that's pretty cool when they can actually design a website i mean like this is a real world like application i feel really old because when i was 10 computers just weren't really a thing don't get me started when i was 10 (laughs) so when i was thinking about this show today i was when i was 10 i got an apple 2 plus computer okay i'm turning 43 this year and uh it was like basic and and remember it had some really low res graphics and funny enough one of the first things i programmed was putting these like blocks of graphics on the screen yeah and then i moved on in school to where i learned fortran uh and then i learned pascal and then later i went and took assembly language at like ucsd and i really got into that whole thing but it was harder then because it was just a bunch of kind of nerds with computers like whoever had the computer but you know it was really it was hard because there was no apps or browsers it was really hard for kids to kind of get a grasp of it yeah it there's cool. loads of amazing tools it, now it's like it, it, I think I see kids now like to, it's cool I think to be able to like say that you can do a web page and all that sort of stuff whereas when I was only like nerds they just had a bad yeah. reputation it's, you know it's weird that's it's like, so good though because yeah. it's changing the perception no, and the perception of it is so it's such a difficult thing to rail against sure um, and it's actually um, so, adults that cause that problem right. so as you say it's not the kids that don't think it's cool um, yeah. kids 9 to 11 year old kids think it's cool um, but it's the adults being like oh it's for nerds and geeks get outside and play right. football and stuff and actually that's really unhelpful um, if you've got a child who's genuinely into it being put put off by right. a parent um, and hopefully not a teacher, but I've heard in some cases that that's true. So. Hmm. You were just in Silicon Valley and you went down to Austin and I was wondering, are the Yanks way ahead of us in this or do they have a different relationship with kids and coding? I also know, I, I think you mentioned you had some South Koreans over checking out what you're doing. <laughs> well, how does the UK stand to the rest of the world when it comes to this kind of education? Um... So when I when I was in San Francisco, there were other programs that were similar to Code Club, um, but the majority of them were commercially based. So Code Club is free to the end user and and free to the schools, um, and we have a very strict no charging for Code Club policy. So so my explanation of Code Club in the states went fine until I explained that it was free, um, and then they were like, "What? <laughs> why are you doing it?" Yeah. That? So why? Everybody left the room. Right? Yeah, and they were like, oh, "Goodbye." Um, no, they we we just had to like think of a mechanic by which um, you could find the most enthusiastic children. Um, and still have them attend for free without it being um, like a paid-for childcare thing again. So, um, so that was interesting. And actually, I've been told it's the same issue um, in Asia as well. So, um, Co Club Hong Kong will be. Um, I think it's about to start its pilot um, fairly soon, and we've had the same discussion again about well, the parents want to pay me; they're giving me money. What do I do with it? Um, and I'm like, well, they can give you money, but not that that doesn't guarantee their child a place at Code Club. It needs to be based on the enthusiasm of the kid, right? Because that's really important. Um, and we, we have this premise that no one should have to pay for Code Club um, and that we want to give all children the chance to learn to code if they want to um, and their, their economic background shouldn't have a bearing on that, um, which some people disagree with. When you're, when, you're, you know, <laughs> when you're waiting for corporates to call you back and you're trying to apply to grants, did part of you ever think, you know, there's got to be a business model here, especially you're surrounded in an area where it's all about the business model. I mean, it, it was it hard not to be like, all right, two pounds a person or something just to get this yeah. funded. Or a um, donation. Do you have a, like a donation button on your website? Yeah, we individual? have a donation right. button. It gets used. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay. good. Um, 
I mean, there's a, there's a really obvious business model, but Linda and I feel really strongly about it, so we just won't change it. It's been suggested to me so many times, but we just don't believe in it. Like, we don't need to, right? We, right, we, obviously. We already have, like, corporate sponsors and grants. And yes, that was hard, but I don't think that we would have um, as many volunteers running clubs if we were charging for them. Um, and therefore we wouldn't be having the effect that we do have. So I think it's the right decision. It wouldn't have grown as fast if it was a no, I don't think profit-based so. entity. I, I, I'm just assuming. I don't think the goodwill would be there in the same way. Okay. So, so Silicon Valley, back to that. Did you <clears> feel, <throat> or feel a different vibe there when it came to what you're trying to do? Or you know, what was it like when you visit places like that? Um, no, I, f- I got a really good vibe, but <laughs> I should state that I was at the... Um, Rise Awards um, Recipients Summit. So the people who won the Google Rise Award, which we did um, in partnership with Technology Will Save Us. So we were there and we were surrounded by, um, uh, I think, 30 other organizations who all do a really similar thing. So I got really good vibes from that. And obviously Google are like incredibly helpful. Um, So that was really cool. Um, And I met with lots of other people whilst I was out there as well. And I mean, I got like a lot of support. So I felt like, there was a lot of support, but also I don't really know that area particularly well, and it was my first visit, um, but it was good to start getting to know people um, and trying to see what the lay of the land was like. Um, it was good to find out that uh, volunteering is alive and well. Um, in some countries it isn't. Um, so that was good. I thought that that might be a blocker. Um, I thought that there might be so many programs like this already that there wouldn't be any need, but apparently there is because most of them are commercial. Um, the commercial ones have rel- like the same curriculum, or is it completely different? Are they uh, much quicker, slower, different? I couldn't investigate to that extent. Okay. Um, they all tend to have their own. Um, yeah, that's cool. as far as I know. Nice. What's it like being in an industry where it's all about the Benjamins, to, to put it a different way, you know, and especially Silicon Valley and here, and it's all about the IPO talk and where's the PayPal effect and all this stuff. And yet a lot of your time is done where you're trying to get people to donate their free time and you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, grow a different kind of organization. Is that strange? Yeah, it is kind of weird. Although... <clears throat> um, the, the whole um, like Silicon Roundabout uh, community, I think, is probably one of the smallest groups of our volunteers. So our volunteers tend to be... Well, this is kind of hard to generalise, actually, because they're all so different, but um, obviously they're from all around the country, um, and you know, the majority of them will work for somebody else. Um, and also we work... So we work with a lot of corporates like morgan stanley for example we have a lot of volunteers from morgan stanley okay um so they volunteer like kind of as a company volunteer yeah so they have 20 people from morgan stanley yeah more like 60 okay yeah um and we're not so evil after all eh? (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they're amazing um so i don't know it doesn't feel like that to me it doesn't feel like it's all about it doesn't feel like we're trying to convince people who are all about money. I know that work at Morgan Stanley, but that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> not like different. that. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess you kind of swim in the same circles where people are building business models or apps to sell things and, and you're kind of not, but I guess you're getting lots of support because people kind of love everything that you're doing. So, yeah, we get a lot of support and you know, we, we started co club pro, which required, um, a business model, you know, and a, and a plan of sorts. Um, so yeah, we're getting there. 
I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. It's, good. it's good. It's good having a lot of support. And what's next for you guys? Like, where, I mean, there's only so much saturation you can, you can get, you know. So what's, what's like a year or five years from now? Are you going to do something else at that point? Or do you just see, like, code clubs everywhere in the world in five years? Yeah, but that's pretty much yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds a bit um, pinky in the brain, world domination, isn't it? But um, What are we going to do tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take over the world. Um, so, so we have like this 25% goal for the end of 2015. Obviously, 2015 is pretty close. Next um, year. Next yeah. year. It's the end of 2015, if we're really okay. clear <laughs> about that. Because right, right. that's a whole year's difference. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and we will definitely be like extending that goal. So um, I, d- I can't say exactly what to yet because we're still um, making a plan. Um, but, you know, 50%, 100% would be amazing, probably unachievable. But um, we definitely want to aim higher. We're not done. We're not done yet. Um, and then Co-Club World. Um, so I have a goal to have like um, co-club communities running in 50% of the world's countries by the end of 2018. And that's 100 fully functioning co-club communities and that's a lot of people so that should keep me busy and out of trouble um how and many, then how many staff do you need to do something like that a lot lots okay. <laughs> um i have to look yeah. so we'll have to look look after all of those people and i'm trying to build like um an organizational structure that can support 100 other communities um that's probably going to be quite significant um, and then we want to continue to grow Code Club Pro, of course. The um, teacher churn is massive, so there'll always be teachers to train. Um, and then that's what, we're, that's what we're concentrating on at the moment. I don't think we'll be launching another thing within the next year, but I'm not going to promise that okay. because the team are amazing and they have lots of really exciting ideas, and I want to do them all. So. And is this going to be a solo venture for you? Will you ever partner with a, a, a corporate or another, you know, organization like like yourself in the world, or is this something that's going to be kind of the Code Club mantra from here on out? Oh, I don't know. I don't see why not. Um, okay. If the right person, company uh, came along, then I don't see why not. But um, at the moment, we haven't. Um, not to not for delivery, although we have partners that that. Um, that provide a lot of volunteers for us. So in that respect, they help us with, with delivery. Corporates like Morgan Stanley, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I can't really talk about that too much because there's kind of some exciting things happening. But <laughs> I love it. I don't want yeah. any more details. You know, we always ask everyone that comes here a few questions at the end. I'm going to hit you with them. Uh, Claire, if you can make a phone call to the 20-year-old uh, Claire Sutcliffe and give that young lady a bit of advice, <laughs> what would you tell her to do? Get a haircut. Um, <laughs> Wait, did you did you have long hair then? Yeah, stupid, okay. I have stupid hair. I have stupid hair now, but it was worse. Um, <laughs> what would I tell my twenty year old twenty year old self? Uh, and how long self? ago was that? Not that long ago. Ten years. Ten eleven years? years ago. Wow. Yeah. Now you're asking hard questions. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Learn to wear high heels. Probably <laughs> would be a good one, because otherwise people would still think you're twenty. Um, were you coding at twenty? I uh, no. You were designing. Yeah. Learn yeah. to code, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that was a leading question. Yeah, it was, right. <laughs> Would that really be your advice? I really wish I had. It's one of the reasons why I started Code Club. So I, when I was at uni, um, they, were, they taught us action script, and it made me cry. So, um, yeah, I was, like, massively put off. But I love designing. Because it's horrible code, right? Yeah. It's just horrible. But I, but I love designing, okay. um, and I love the interactivity of it, which is probably why I ended up becoming an experienced designer in the end. Um, 
and I loved all of that. I don't think I would change any of it. I don't know. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, on, on that same note, um, advice you would give uh, to the 20-year-old that's listening kind of around the world that wants to get involved either in the tech scene you know, or in, in something like Code Club, what would you tell them to do? Um, I would tell them to work for something they believe in. Otherwise, they won't. It, life's just not really worth living, is it, if you don't? If you're not doing something that you love, I know that's really easy to say and some people don't have those opportunities, but if you do have the opportunity to do something, to work on something that you love and care about and that you think can change the world, then you should do it and don't be scared like I almost was. Yeah, but you did it. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's easy, uh, not easy for you to say, but you really did it. I mean, you just started that when you were working somewhere else, you started this venture, right? Yeah, but I almost didn't. So So, um, the last bit of that is, uh, uh, what is the best advice you've, uh, you've ever received either personal or business? Uh, keep going. That's good. It's always the one that stumps people. It's the simplest one. Yeah. So, yeah, keep going. Was keep that going. business or personal advice? Business. Okay, business. Yeah. Right, that's good. Um, last bit is, you know, we're in this Silicon, uh, you know, uh, roundabout community here, and you've been here for many years. Uh, it's obviously changing every year. I mean, Jesus, Old Street Station's changing every week now. Um, it's all the different colors and all this stuff. <laughs> what, what's your read on the changes that have happened to London in the last couple of years, and where do you see it kind of going? Uh, yeah, just in general, what do you think of the scene? Um, I feel like there's a lot of building sites around here, Jesus. which is really annoying. Um, it is annoying, yeah. Well, it's annoying for us because there's one right outside our window, outside of Tech Hub's window at the back. There's a big um, building site. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's going to be all really shiny, and I think that would be a shame. And I can kind of see people just like moving out of the way, like either to Dalston or out to Whitechapel and stuff. And I think that. It will kind of dissipate the, the energy which a lot of people thrive off. Um, and has certainly been useful to Code Club, especially in the early days when like, I would hang out at Silicon Drink about every Friday, drinking far too much with those beards. Um, but, and I, I kind of feel like when it gets all shiny and full of skyscrapers, we might lose that bit, which I think would be sad because it, kind of, it does feel a bit like a village, doesn't it? Yeah. Even with a scrappy roundabout in the middle, which yeah, they painted. But it's... That was cute. <laughs> yeah, but it's slowly like kind of changing, as you said. I think so. I feel like that that's the case. Um, I don't know that for sure. And will you stay here in London, or will you move potentially to another city? Code Club? Yeah. Um, I think Code Club will probably base itself in London, um, purely because the majority of our partnerships have their headquarters here, and going to see people is easier when you're in the same city. But, um, but we are starting to recruit um, regional coordinators so that we can have people based in regions all around the UK um, so that we can um, spread out our efforts a bit more. Because, um, you know, when you live somewhere, it's just kind of easier to do that, that, that work and you kind of accidentally focus your effort around that area. And we want to make sure that we, um, that we can, like, offer Code Club equally all around the country, wherever there's interest. So, but I think Code Club will probably stay in London. Sounds like I need to step up and uh, volunteer some I, of my time. I feel left out that I don't code. Really? I need, to, I need to learn how to code. I think it's time to step up. I mean, I'm going to step up. You are, yeah? Gonna, I think I'm going to do it. Because we hear this. We ask this question like every week, and yeah. I'm sure 50% of the people say learn to code. Yeah. That's their advice. I mean, 50%. Jesus. 50% so, of people can't be wrong, can they? Yeah. 
Probably not. Probably not. So, uh, you know, half right. (laughs) And I guess you ultimately need to really get involved yourself because I'm like, oh, who's going to teach my 10 year old to code? Well, maybe I should just step up and like go in there and do some volunteering. So you should volunteer for code. I should, right? You love it. Well, a volunteer say it's like the most rewarding part of their week. Maybe I will. How qualified does a volunteer need to be? (laughs) Yeah, that's good. How qualified do you currently feel? In coding, zero. Yeah. Okay, then more than that. More so than zero. I feel pretty it's, good. It's mainly about the confidence, right? So okay. what I would suggest like is I've that you never look at... Co- I know nothing about coding. Okay. Zero. Then, then the maybe. enthusiasm is great um, and maybe teamed with someone who can code, like your good friend here. There we go. I can be um, your you helper. You'd make a dream team because you could learn at the same time. There we go. Okay. All that right. Watch the space. We might be doing this. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Don't I mean, film it as well. Yeah. These kids are really funny. On film. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, if other people want to get involved and either volunteer at Coke Club or get their children in their local ones, what's the easiest way to do it? Um, the best way to do it is to go and have a look at the Coke Club website, which is coclub.org.uk, um, and check out the information for parents, for venues, and for volunteers, depending on which one you are, um, and have a good read if you want to volunteer about like what would be expected of you and what a club is like, and go and have a look at the projects and see if you like them and that kind of thing. Um, if you're a school, um, go and have a look at the venues page. Again, what's expected of you, what a club is like, um, and if you're a parent, how to like get your school involved um, and how to help them find a volunteer. Um, and volunteers and venues can uh, find each other uh, via the website as well. So Fantastic. All the right. website does a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. Um, Claire, you're extremely humble for the organization you put together, and these numbers are crazy. So uh, thanks so much for coming on and telling us about it. It's really impressive. Um, You seem like you're going to be doing this, like, seriously for the next few years. You seem to have a serious determination in you. Yes. So I wouldn't want to get in her way. (laughs) So uh, all the best with more corporate sponsors and all that stuff. And um, Colin and I are going to step up and look to get involved, right? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Promises. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can look at our, our lovely faces on our channel on YouTube. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Silicon Reel. Uh, you can uh, send us emails at hello at siliconreel.com. We just had two awesome interns contact you today. Great. Who Chat. Wanna... Yeah, you know, a uh, few interns contacted me maybe a week, a week and a half ago. And right. Yeah, you know, they're going to step up and start helping. So, you know, really, we're doing, you know, everyone loves what we're doing. We're just, uh, we need to get it out there more. So, so we need some help. So, so come drop us an email and we'll make it happen. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to get involved and you can have firsthand knowledge with awesome people like Claire, you know, or Andy or, uh, you know, Dan from uh, Songkick. All those cool people just yeah. come help us out. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we say it's about the people here at Silicon Real. We love the stories behind the, the, you know, the, the website. So, Claire, all the best and Thank thanks for you. coming on. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, guys, take care. Cheers. was a real mess. I mean, the first year I was there, they lost a billion dollars. No one thought they were going to last more than two or three years before they, they were done. Um, and it was chaotic. They were like, they were selling like 26 lines of computers. Nobody could tell you what they all were and why they were different. And Steve came back and very quickly became the CEO. And within a matter of a few months, he turned that company around. In fact, the, the first year after he came back, they made like $800 million. He basically took that company and like shook it and refused to let it die. He was a really difficult man on a personal level. He's one of the most unpleasant human beings I've ever met. He was a genius. I mean, he was, his, his intuition for what made great products, I've never seen anyone operating at that level.